This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. First, we're, we're learning tonight Lili Nishmas, Mashalem Azakan, Mashalem Ben David, Belba Ben Yehuda, Sivka Bat Sadik, and Tzihersh Ben Leib. So, uh, we had a Shabbaton this past Shabbos in Arnava, Bar Hashem, there were over 700 people there, it was really, really amazing. And um, we had picked Shabbashira specifically for women, because there's a very big connection between um, Shabbashira and women, also the Shabbos before Tu B'Shvat. So first I'd like to talk a little bit about Shabbashira. So we know that after Az Yashir, it says, Miriam the sister of Aaron, doesn't say the sister of Moshe. And that's very important because her first nevuah was after her parents separated. She said to her parents, you're destroying the boys and the girls. Paro's only destroying the boys. By separating it, you can't have a girl. So they got back together and they had Moshe Rabbeinu. And all the women followed her with uh, with different musical instruments. And this is an interesting Russian the Pasuk uses. Vata'an lohem Miriam. Miriam sort of answered them. What does Vata'an mean? And she said, She said the whole Shira of Yashia Moshe Uvene Yisrael. When Moshe Rabbeinu said the Shira Bnei Yisrael repeated it, and Miriam, the women didn't repeat it. She said the whole Shira. And what was the Shira that she decided to choose from Az Yashir? Susvarach by Ramamayam, a horse and its rider were drowned in the water. And as the, as the rabbi said before me, the whole thing was Emuna. In fact, interesting, in the same parasha, Talks about the mon. Kleistrol didn't know what it was, right? Mahu. So they didn't know what it was, so they called it mon, monhu. And the kasha is, if you don't know what it is, then why'd you, why'd you call it mon? Call it ma. Why mon? If you take the word monhu and you scramble the letters, it spells amuna. When a person doesn't know, what it is, why they're going through the problems and the situations that they're going through. Manhu. It's Amuna that's going to get you through. Who had amazing Amuna? So the question is, where did they get these musical instruments from? Why did Miriam take out musical instruments? The women took out musical instruments. Why of all the things to leave Mitzrayim with, there's a bunch of musical instruments. The men walked out with weapons. They walked out with money. Moshe Rabbeinu walked out with Atmos Yosef. And the women walked out of Mitzrayim with musical instruments. Who was their leader? Miriam. What was Miriam all about? We know that Miriam was the one that told her parents, it's not up to you to separate and make a decision not to have any more children. You're worse than Paro. But what really happened? They didn't have a girl. She said, you'll get back together, maybe you'll have a girl. They didn't have a girl. They had a boy. And still that boy was not destroyed. And Miriam remained when Moshe Rabbeinu was put to watch to see what would happen. And it's a very interesting chazal that says that Moshe Rabbeinu wouldn't have been able to live. So big deal, Miriam. So she watched him. But the terrorist is that when, when Batya tried to nurse him and the Egyptians tried to nurse him and he wouldn't drink, if she wasn't there to tell them that he won't drink because he's Jewish and you're not, they would have taken him to the palace. Everybody would have tried to nurse him. He wouldn't have nursed him. He would have died. He was a baby, he was three months old. So she actually saved his life. 
Miriam was a big, big Balimuna. And therefore, when she left Mitzrayim, in the worst of times, she was not thinking of money. She was thinking that I have a relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and the women that were in Mitzrayim had a relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. As we know, the Kiyo was made out of their mirrors, and the Gemara says that if it wasn't for the women, we wouldn't have gotten out of Mitzrayim. And if it wasn't for the women, we would not be getting out of this Golis. It's an interesting thing. I tell this always to the boys, no matter how much Gemara you learn, no matter how much Torah you learn, the Gemara says that it's your sister and your mother that's going to get us out of this Golis. And for some reason, they never complain about this. And I was wondering, I'm telling these boys, no matter how much you learn, Tfilin, Minyan, Tzitzis, it doesn't matter. The one that's going to take us out of Mitzrayim, your mother, your aunt, your sister, and they never complain. So one day I called one of the boys over. I said, you, let it, you just let me make these statements? That all your Gemara, Tfilin, Minyanim, that, that it's not going to take us out of this Golis and your sister is going to take us out of this. How come it doesn't bother you guys? So he looked up and he said, Rebbe, are we out of this Golis? I said, no. You see, it's their fault. But Lamaisa, that's what the Gemara says. The Gemara says that you're going to take us out of this Golis, and you also took us out of Mitzrayim. So that meant that when they left Mitzrayim, they already had the Amuna that something's going to happen on this trip, that the Mitzrayim are going to be destroyed. And after the Mitzrayim are destroyed, how are we going to play music? How are we going to thank Hashem? So instead of looking for money, they already planned the party on the Geula of Klai Yisrael and the Mitzrayim being destroyed. And maybe that's why they had a right to say their own separate Shira outside of Oz Yashem Moshe Uvinei Yisrael. Maybe because Hashem saw that this group of women prepared when they left Mitzrayim for this Shira. Which is even a higher level of Amuna that when Kleistrol saw that they were saved, that's when they sang Shira. The women were already singing Shira when they left with Shrine because they already took the instruments. Vata'an lahem Miriam. And Miriam answered to them and said, We are on a higher level. The horse and its rider were drowned in the water. Why are a bunch of women singing about a horse and a rider? And the Teretz is that the, if the horse goes down, you study ancient war, many times the soldiers were wearing armor. It was very hard to hit them with an arrow that would pierce the, uh, the armor. So they knew if you shoot the horse, the archers didn't shoot for the man on the horse. They shot for the horse. Once the horse goes down, it throws the rider. It's much easier to kill the rider. He's now laying on the floor. But if you shoot the rider, the horse doesn't go down. You can shoot the rider, the horse won't go down. But if you shoot the horse, the rider goes down. And that's what Miriam was telling the women. We are the rider. Christ's roll is riding on our shoulders. And even in the hard times, Nashim Tzitkaniyais, the times that we're in now, where there's so much pain, it is the women that are going to take us out of this cause. Because the women, doesn't sound nice, right? Is the horse. And even though many of the riders are going off the derech, Many of the riders are falling off the horse. But the horse won't go down because the rider is going down. But Ta'an Miriam. And Miriam said, what is the koyach of the woman? Sus v'roich v'ramamayam. The sus is the one that the rider is upon. And as long as she's standing, there's a chance. But if she goes down... If the Nashim Tzitkaniyos go down, 
If they start doing, assimilating, and doing the things that they can't, they shouldn't, we're done. We're done. But to Aunt Miriam, and this is what Miriam told the women. There's a story, and I'm sure the, the, that Rabbi Katz has many girls have, that have come to him and have tried many different things and feel that a Kodesh Baruch Hu is not answering us. And probably one of the biggest, one of the toughest things in Emunah, the rabbi spoke, one of the toughest things in Emunah is that sometimes you just try and you try and you try and it sounds like a Kodesh Baruch Hu is not listening. And you dive and you dive and I know at the Hillam group, in America who came to me and said, we want to stop saying Tehillim. I said, why? He said, everybody we daven to die. Daven for dies. Every day we get lists and lists and lists, and these are critical people, and nobody makes it. Maybe we're killing them. So we're not going to say Tehillim anymore. That's what breaks a person's amuna. You try and you try and you try, and you daven and a school and all these different things, and you're like, where are you, Akadosh Baruch so I read a story a few weeks ago in Elena Lushabeach that is so scary. And he says the following story. He says there was this very abusive man. Very abusive. And every day when he came home from work, every single day when he came home from work, his wife better have had dinner ready, set, ready on the table. He came home at 7 o'clock, and if that dinner wasn't on the table... He would scream at her, insult her, yell at her. But it was always on the table. One night, he comes home, walks into the kitchen, nothing in the oven, nothing on the stove, the table is not set, no dishes, nothing. And she's standing in the kitchen, and before she could say one word, he starts screaming at her. What do you think this is? Do you know what I'm going to do to you for this? I'm home at 7 o'clock. Nothing in the oven. Nothing on the table. And he's belittling her. And he's screaming her at her. And he's approaching her. And she's scared that he might even hit her. So she backs in to the dining room. And he's following her into the dining room. And he's angry. And he's like, you think you're going to get away with this? You're not going to get away with this? And all of a sudden he stops. And his mouth just, jaw just falls down. And there in the dining room, the most beautiful set table he has ever seen. Flowers, champagne, crystal glasses, china, silverware and a beautiful card by his chair and he looks at her and he says what's this and all the food is already on the table steaming his favorite dishes he says what's going on here and she says Chaim what do you mean what's going on here don't you know what today is he says what's today and she says it's our anniversary so I wanted to do something special. I didn't want to eat in the kitchen. So I set everything up. I took out the best stuff that we have for our anniversary dinner. Could you imagine, as bad as he was, how embarrassed, how he had nothing to answer back? Said Rap Silverstein, that when we come up after 120 years to the next world, our whole life we complain and we complain and we complain. You didn't do this and you didn't do that. And I got it for this and that's supposed to be set up and this isn't set up. And we turned around and we never made it to the dining room. We walked out of the house and said, you don't have my dinner ready. You're not a good wife. I'm out of here. Had you just stepped into the dining room, you would have seen what Akash Baruch Hu had prepared for you. Because every single day of life is an anniversary with God. And therefore, sometimes in life, we just don't give Him a chance. We don't step in to the next room to see that beautiful table that's set up. 
But after 120 years, when you see how HaKadosh Baruch Hu mapped out your life, and you're standing there with your mouth open, the way this man was, look what kind of life Hashem had prepared for me. But I turned around, I went off the derech, I had questions. I never walked into the dining room. I walked straight out of the kitchen, straight out of the front door. I don't have anything to do with this, with HaKadosh Baruch Hu anymore. He brings down also the famous story of a person trying to get into a house and he can't get into the house so he looks through the keyhole and he sees a pen and it's writing on a piece of paper and he's thinking to himself this must be a Disney house or some kind of magic house they got pens writing on paper without people fool open the door and you get the whole picture and you see that there's a person standing there with a pen and a paper in their hand but you're only looking through the people. So you just see the pen and the paper. None of us human beings can see HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the world. We don't get to see the whole picture. As Hashem said to the Malachim, if you want me to give you the answer, that will turn the world into Tayyub Avayu. HaKadosh Baruch said, I have to go back to the beginning of the world, to the end of the world. This was the beauty of the women when it came to Kriyas Yamsef. Tu Bishvat, the rabbi touched on it. As a kid, I always wondered, what kind of New Year's is this? You walk outside, the trees are dead. Well, you had so much snow on them in New York also. You walk outside in the middle of the winter, and what do you say? Happy New Year! Happy New Year, it's 20 degrees, there's no leaves, there's nothing on the trees. Why didn't Hashem make Tu Bishra, I mean not Tu Bishra, Rosh Hashanah for the trees in the summer? Fruit, blossoms, leaves, Happy New Year trees in the middle of the winter. And we know that the estric tree, the sap, begins to go into the roots of the estric tree. On Tu Bishvat, in fact, men are supposed to daven on Tu Bishvat for their Esraigen. And this is something that I spoke at at the Gura Convention, that I speak about a lot. We don't celebrate the product. The Jewish nation, we celebrate potential. And therefore, once the trees have leaves and fruits, the next thing that happens is they die again. I was in Bear Mountains with my class, and we stood on top of this mountain, you can see for 500 miles, and we went specifically in the, in the fall, in the autumn, because that's when you go to look at the trees, and I have a lot, my high school and my girls there go through, have gone through very, very, very hard times, so I thought I'll take them out of New York City, and we're all standing up there, and it's gorgeous. It's gorgeous, 500 miles of this beautiful trees changing every color, and the girls are screaming, Rabbi Wallenstein, this is amazing. This is unbelievable. This is so beautiful. And I like to be a little bit like a shock Rebbe. And I looked at them and I said, Really? You think it's beautiful? And they're like, Rabbi, it's gorgeous. I'm like, Really? They're dying. And then these poor kids, they're all happy. All of their faces went down. What? I'm like, They're dying. You see those leaves? Once they change color, it's over. In two weeks, we're going to come up here, no leaves. And they're like, Rabbi, why are you doing that? We were so happy. It's because I don't like you when you're happy. <laughs> so I'll tell you why I'm doing it. Because I want to teach you something about God. So really what God should have done is trees have leaves and then trees lose their leaves and they fall off the tree and it's winter time. But how depressing would that be to go from summer to winter? Beautiful trees and fruits and flowers and leaves and all of a sudden you wake up the next day, nothing. Everything's bare. So Hashem said, I love my world, not just the Jewish nation, the human being so much that I'm not going to take this painting and just wipe it clean. I'm going to repaint it for them. It's not going to go from life to death and from death to life. 
It's going to be a process. Because a human being could not handle it if it wasn't a process. Springtime is beautiful when things are coming to life. Unless you have allergies. Fall is beautiful when things are going to death. HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't want to make a time that isn't beautiful. Even in winter, he brings snow, which is a whole different shear, which covers the world in white. Snow could have been black. Well, in New York it takes a day, it gets black. But there's a reason that snowflakes are white, not black. Because Baruch Hu is very mocked that the, that the human being should, shouldn't go through shock treatment. So I said to these girls, that's right, it is very beautiful. It's beautiful in death. So that you shouldn't have to go through a time with just beautiful and then not beautiful. I said, so enjoy it, and the next day you'll enjoy it again. Tu Bishvat is Judaism. And it's a very big yontif. And we don't say Tachanun, because Tu Bishvat is hope and potential. Tachanun is to forgive me what I already did wrong. So, on a day where I celebrate potential, I can't start crying about what I did wrong. They're very different machshavos. So the machshava on Thursday is potential. And even though the trees look dead, but the sap is beginning to move, the potential just started, that is the biggest yontif. I always ask my weddings, right? Why do we have 700 people, at least in America, and spend all that money for a wedding? Maybe they're going to get divorced. Maybe they're going to have a miserable marriage. So I have a friend, because of what's going on in today's world, and people are getting, so many people are getting divorced, he writes a check for the wedding, and he post dates it five years. <laughs> so in five years, they're still together, they'll cash it. I'm not going to keep giving checks, he's going to get married again and again. I'm not doing that. Another guy gives government bonds, takes 10 years. But the truth is, why are we celebrating? How do you know it's going to work out? I have a different idea. 50th anniversary, they're married 50 years, children and grandchildren, great-grandchildren. That's when you invite 700 people. By the way, their friend list will probably be a little, little less, right? So one course gets so much. But definitely those friends are not going to eat too much when they're 70, 80. That's for sure, right? But why don't you take 50, right? Product. They're married, children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren. It worked. Put 800 people together. Get a band. They won't be able to hear anything anyway, right? Get a band with the food. Make a huge party. Celebrate 50 years of marriage. What do we do at a 50th anniversary? We invite two or three friends. We invite the family. We go to a restaurant. We spend five, six hundred dollars. Maybe we buy one thing of flowers, right? And we... Some granddaughter puts an album together and a little video and the whole thing takes two hours and it's over. And the wedding was six hours and $60,000 and this was $600. Why? Well, somebody told me, first of all, to, to find a guy that's going to commit is so hard that 800 people want to see it. But that's not the real reason. The real reason is you have these two young, a young girl and a young boy underneath a chuppah and everybody's watching and usually the girl's side they're all crying right they're all crying the boy and girl today they're davening like it's Yom Kippur maybe because it is Yom Kippur right and everybody everybody's there what do they need to celebrate they're there to celebrate potential they're young they're just going to get married and mitzvah Hashem Amishpacha and grandchildren this crazy potential standing under that chuppah he himself has only a limited potential she herself only has a limited potential put them together Boom! It's an explosion of potential. So sure you should make a big wedding. 50th anniversary, their potential, Baruch Hashem. Okay, but it's already much less. They've done what they've done. It's like Tachanon. We celebrate potential. So on Tu Bishvat, we eat fruit. That last year came from that tree, that last Tu Bishvat had nothing going for it. And the fruit on my plate right now that I'm about to eat was on that tree a year ago when we celebrated, looked out the window and said, this, this tree is dead. This kid has no potential. This kid is not going anywhere. Because the understanding that something's going on in the roots 
That is something to get excited about. That is something to make a yontiv about. And all the rebels by the chassidim, a tubishrat tish is huge. What are you getting so excited about an apricot? Huge! Why? What's the celebration? Celebration is that this fruit last year wasn't on the tree. Potential, potential, lo alecha hamalacha ligma, says the Mishnah. I said it at the Aguda convention. It's not for you to finish. What do you mean? The whole world is about product. Product, product. What's the product? The Mishnah says the product's not important. It's not important. The potential and the work. The product's up to Hashem anyway at the end of the day. No matter how much you're going to work, no matter what, without a Kodesh Baruch Hu, there is no product. So the mission says, that's not your job. Your job is to start. And we find very, very much, at least the people that, that I'm working with, and altogether this whole generation, this whole generation, is about reflection. We hardly even get to know who we are. It's how everybody else looks at us. The very, very interesting story, which I think is the greatest story ever written on reflection. It was about this drunk. This guy was a drunk. And every night he would come home drunk. One night his wife said, enough. If you come back home one more time drunk, we're, we're finished. We're divorced. I'm throwing you out of the house. No, Ethel, we're married so long. I'm like, that's it. You're right. I'm a drunk, I'm not drinking anymore. It's over. Goes to sleep that night. He's going to be a good boy. Gets up at like one o'clock. He's craving alcohol. He's like, just one more time. I'm just going to sneak out one more time. Sneaks down the steps, goes to the bar, starts drinking, drinking, gets himself really drunk, comes back home. As he's walking up the steps, he's thinking to himself, I don't know why, but I think I'm in big trouble. So he runs to the refrigerator and he fills up this crystal, this, this thing full of water and he's going to take it upstairs and he thinks if he drinks enough water, she won't smell the alcohol in the morning, she's not going to find out. And as he's going up the steps, he slips and this thing falls to the floor, smashes into a hundred pieces and the shards of the glass go into his face and he's cut all over the place and he's bleeding. And he runs to the bathroom and he's got this box of a hundred band-aids and he's got one on his forehead and he's got one on his cheek and his chin and he's putting all these band-aids on and he slips into bed quietly and he's like, well, I'll tell her in the morning I went to get a drink and uh, water. See, I'm not drinking whiskey and I fell and she'll see all the water on the steps and the, and the glass and everything. She'll know that I'm not a drunk. Next morning, she's shaking him. Get up! Pack your stuff! Get out of my house! I don't want you here anymore. You're a drunk. He's like, no, I'm not. I promise. I swear. You went last night to drink. No, no, I didn't. I promise. I went downstairs. I went down to get some water. And I'll prove it to you. She says, prove it to me. Get packed and get out. You're a drunk. He says, no, I'll prove it to you. She goes, you'll prove it to me. I'll prove to you that you, you went out last night drinking. He goes, I promise. Scout's honor. I promise I didn't. She says, get up. Get out of bed gets out of bed, she says, get into the bathroom. He says, okay. He walks into the bathroom. She says, you weren't drunk, were you? He says, no, I wasn't. She goes, look at the mirror. And he looks at the mirror, full of band-aids. <laughs> takes two seconds, it takes two seconds. We're busy, busy, busy putting band-aids on the mirror when it's our faces that are cut. We need to work, like the rabbi said, we need to work internally on who we are, not on what we see in the mirror. That's the godless of every single person. And if you work on yourself internally, take it from me, you'll find out there's a lot more than some sap coming in the roots. There is sap already through the whole system. But you have to spend a little bit of time with yourself and you have to go inside yourself. Just like this tree that looks like it's dead, but inside it has the sap is beginning to flow. And we know that what's going to come from that? Fruit, leaves, flowers. This is a celebration of Tu Bishvat, the Emuna, in understanding that even though something looks dead, dead, it's so alive. 
And we all have these seasons. We all have winters. And we all have falls. And we all have these uh, spring where we get excited. I know how many girls came there to Israel and they were so excited about seminary. And they came back to America and they had a fall. And the leaves began to fall off and they had a winter. And they needed a chizik to have another spring. We are the seasons, just like a tree eats a sudden. We also go through seasons. But what Tu Bishvat is teaching us, that in the coldest, most bitter season of them all, we celebrate potential. So I want to end. I think a little bit out of the box. Anyone who listens to my shirim knows that I think a little bit out of the box. And many years ago, when I was thinking to speak about Tu Bishvat, I was thinking a little bit out of the box like this. On a shama, everybody in this room has an shama. It's like a seed. So if you go into the store, I lived in Muncie, New York, and we used to plant seeds, tomatoes and cucumbers. And anyone who ever planted seeds knows that when you open that pack, right, you got a bunch of dry seeds in there. And it says the directions are, put plant a seed six inches underneath the earth. Six inches of dirt, which altogether is a whole different, unbelievable idea because the energy of a seed, right? I'm sure you did this with the lima bean when you first started growing up. They put it in a jar, you watch it rot, and then the green thing grows out of it. A seed, where did the energy come from a seed? To push six inches of hard-packed dirt out of the way. There's no batteries, there's no coal, there's no fire, there's no plug. Where did this little seed, who's who's dead, you put, you put it in your hand, it does nothing. You hold it in your hand for forever. It'll do nothing. Put it in the ground, some kind of energy... And it pushes a plant six inches through packed ground. It's amazing. That's not the shit tonight. So anyway, I imagine you have a whole bag. They give you a whole, a whole thing with like 15 seeds in it. And you, you go six, you go, you, you dig six inches and you put it in and you pat it and you put water on it. Now I'm down in there with those guys. And you got these 16 seeds. And they gotta go six inches. So they start to push. And they're in the dirt. Until now they were in the store. Now they're in the dirt. You put us in the dirt. What's going to happen? They start to push. And they're pushing and it's one inch and it's two inches. And there's half of them are like, this is not working. We heard that the world has sun, wind, rain, right? We're in the dirt. The whole thing's a lie. They took us. What happened to that world? They opened the package. We're supposed to be the world of wind and rain, right? And sun and warmth. And instead they lied. They didn't put us in that world. They put us in the world of death. The whole thing's a story. So half of them, three inches up, are like, we're done. What are we going to do? For the rest of our lives, keep pushing through dirt? Never to get to that world? We'll go to a club. We'll hang out. It's called the three-inch club. Underneath the ground. For all the seeds that would give up at three inches. That's where they chill. Three-inch club. So half the seeds decide, we're not pushing no more. Have a good day. We're done. The other half of seeds are like, I don't know if the world is just dirt. There's got to be more to it. We'll give it a little bit more of a try. So, they continue to push. And now, they're up four inches. Another half of the Hebra go to the four-inch club. Those are the guys that believe the rabbis a little bit more. You know, that maybe there is such a world. They checked out at the four-inch club. And now, all that's left are two seeds. And they're going to keep pushing. Because they have Amunah. There's got to be something more than dirt. And they're at the fifth inch. And one of them says to his friend, listen, we're pushing and we're pushing and we're pushing. The guys on the three-inch club, they're partying. The guys on the four-inch club, they're partying. We're at the fifth inch. I'm not pushing anymore. I'm done. And the other guy says, listen, we push so much. I just, I think it's just a little bit more from what I hear. Come on. He's like... You want to be a fool, you're going to push 10 inch, 12 inch, you're going to die. At least I'll die down here without pushing all this, all this that I have to push. And all you know, 
that any of the seeds that's left under the ground that don't break surface, they die. If anyone in this room can understand, when that last seed breaks surface for the first time, by the way, it's just interesting because I used to plant a lot, that the second they break surface, after that, it took them six inches, let's say a week to go, six inches in two days. The vine grows so fast once it's free of the dirt, once it's free, and it's got the water and the sun and the wind and everything that it needs, it grows so much faster. Anyone in this room can imagine when it breaks surface and it finds out that the story that it was told, that there is such a world of sun and rain and wind, that such a world exists. That feeling of that little seed and the growth, if it's an apple seed, we're talking about two bishmats. What happens to an apple seed? It becomes a tree. It becomes an apple tree. It gives fruit. And each one of those apples has more seeds. The one seed that made it out of the ground ends up producing thousands and thousands and thousands of seeds. An orchard. Because as the apples fall and die, those go into the ground and they grow and they grow and they grow. I lived in Muncie near Viola Park, which was an apple orchard. I don't know if you've ever seen an apple orchard. It is unbelievable. One tree after another tree after another tree for miles. One seed, the potential of one seed. And all other 14 seeds who didn't believe, who gave up, was too hard. Where is that sunlight? Where is that rain? Where is that air? Zero. Nothing came from them at all. So girls and ladies, when you look at that fruit on your table on Thursday, that comes from a seed that didn't give up. All those fruits on the table come from seeds who believed that they're going to have to push and push and push. But at the end of the push, there's going to be sunlight. And that's the yontif of Tubishvat. And that's a reason to have a tish. And that's a reason not to say tachman. Every single fruit on your table is from a seed that did not give up. You have to transcend yourself into that fruit and understand that you are just like that fruit. And even though you're pushing and you're pushing and you're pushing and sometimes you're in the dirt and the darkness and it's not working, the shit's not working, the school's not working, this is not working and that's not working and your friends are telling you, three inch club, tonight, let's go drink, let's go to a club, let's get out of here, let's get lost. If that's what you're going to do, then you'll have no Paris. Then you learn nothing from Tu Bishvat. Then you gave up one inch from the surface. It's very, very late, so I can't get into a billion different stories, but I'm going to end with this, and I, I feel very bad that I didn't, I didn't bring my, um, my towels bag. Let me just tell you very, very, very fast about potential. So when I first, I'm, I'm a Rebbe of boys for a very long time, kids that weren't from. I never dealt with kids who do drugs or kids who are off the derech. That wasn't my thing. Ten years ago, I got a phone call from a friend of mine that there's a place in Brooklyn called Judas Place on Quentin Road. It was a place for kids who got out of rehab, girls and boys, to keep them from going into the streets. They had a pool table and a ping pong table and a television. And this person who called me said, Robert Walston, we know that you tell stories. Could you come Tish above at night? It was the summer? At midnight. Just to talk to the kids. They're very lost. I never dealt with such kids. I had no reason to be scared because they didn't know what I was dealing with. I said, sure, Tish above, 12 o'clock, I'll be there. So I walked into Judah's place. There were three girls sitting on a couch and two boys. Now the way it works in the street... So when a rabbi deals with kids in the street, there's always one kid, whether it's a boy or a girl, it's going to stand up to you. 
That kid tests you. If you win the debate, all the kids lean in, Rabbi, they want to hear what you have to say. If the kid wins the debate, they walk away from the rabbi like, you're nothing. So there's always that one kid who's very angry, who wants to take the rabbi in the street down. Well, there was one girl in that room who was like that. I didn't know from street, I didn't know from anything. I came to tell a story. I sat down in my chair and I said, Hi everybody, my name is Rabbi Wallerstein. And this little blonde 14-year-old girl gets off the couch, walks up to me. She's got tattoos on both her wrists. Everything in her face is pierced. She had more metal on her face. Had I walked in with a magnet, I would have never gotten rid of her. Would have been stuck forever. She had this big tongue ring, a big smiley tongue ring. And she walks up to me. I'm in a shul, so I have to be careful how I say it. And she looks me in the face and she says, You're a rabbi? I'm like, I, I don't know. <laughs> Blank you, man! Blank all you Jews! Blank God! Blank Judaism! Yes! And what the blank you have to say? I never in my life heard that word together with Hashem, rabbi, or Judaism. So all the kids are like, yeah. So what do you have to say? I'm sitting there like, I want to go home. She was like spitting at me. She was like, whoa, I remember it like today. She was like, like, like in my face. I was like, hello? Right? And that little smiley thing's jumping up and down, that little tongue ring, right? I'm like, what are you smiling about? Hey, you, right? It was, it was crazy. It was crazy. So I'm like, Hashem, Hashem, you have to help me here. I don't know what to say to this girl. I never saw this in my life. And she just, she just like, like, and I'm like, send me a telegram, an email, something. I need an answer. And she's like, yes, or what? She's watching, she, and I'm like, um, what's your name? Right? And I'm trying to stall that. I should get this answer. I'm like, what the blank? You didn't know my name. I'm not telling you my name. I'm like, I'm getting her angry. It's not good. Right? <laughs> and all of a sudden, I got the machshava. And I said to her, I just want to tell you, I don't know who you are. You're amazing. Blank amazing, man. I'm like, no, no, no. You don't know why. And I'm stalling and I have it. I have it. And I'm like, you see, I came tonight to tell you that there's a God. And I came tonight to prove to you that there's a God. And I was going to spend the next two hours giving you all my proofs. But you believe in God. You see, you cursed him. You didn't curse Martians, people from Pluto. You cursed God. So you don't like him. You're angry at him. But Abby, you believe in him. She goes, what are you saying? I'm like, you don't like him, but you cursed him. You don't curse something that you don't think exists. He said, I, I can go home now. I want to get out of there. Um, you, you can give the share. You, you believe in God. She goes, that's right. I do believe in God. I'm like, okay, so then we can talk about some other stuff. To make a long story short, I was there till 4.30, quarter to 5 in the morning with this whole chevra. It was my introduction to kids who were very hurt and in a very bad place. I remember they locked the door. We're walking out. It's, it's summertime. I think it was already light outside. And she turns to me. She goes, Rabbi W., can I ask you something? I'm like, sure. She says, you want to be my chavrusa? That's what she said. I said, chavrusa i masusa. I'll take masusa. I said, no, I don't really learn with girls the chavrusa, but definitely you should come to my shir. Anyway, to make a long story short, I, she became my talmidah. And it wasn't easy. I have a lot of crazy stories in between, but whatever. That, there was one thing I could not get away from her. And that was her tongue ring. I remember one day she was a street kid. She had no money, zero money. I walked up to her and I said, listen, there's one piercing I want from you. I want the smiley tongue ring. I cannot, she would come to my house for Shabbos, right? And while she was eating, all my five daughters would be looking in her mouth. Like, how do you do that when the soup is hot? It doesn't hurt you, right? 
They were so busy with it. Everybody was busy with it. She would come to my share and all the girls would be like, wow, doesn't that hurt? Doesn't it get infected? I'm like, I'm giving a share. Hello? Hello? And I'm talking about tongue rings. So I decided I'm going to get that tongue ring out of her mouth. So I offered her $500 cash. I took out $500 in front of her. I didn't just offer it. I gave, I put it, I said, $500, Abby, give me the tongue ring. She goes, Rabbi, I'll never forget this. She says, Rabbi, if you gave me $5 million, you're not getting my tongue ring. I said, why not? She says, I'll give you any other piercing, not my tongue ring. So why not? She says, you don't understand. I said, explain it. That is who I am. That is my identity. And I am not going to give my identity up for anything in the world. I cannot tell you girls how many times I tried to get that tongue ring. I could not get the tongue ring. Because that's who she was. Little, yellow, smiley tongue ring. Yes, it's funny, but it's very sad. You can take a person who doesn't have believe in their potential and squeeze them down into a little teeny piece of metal that goes on someone's tongue. That's what you could do to a human being. You could take a tree and you could turn it into sawdust. Enough, enough abuse to a tree and all you have left of the tree is some sawdust. That's all that was left of Abby. A teeny little tongue ring. Simcha's Torah, so I knew her at that point from Tisha B'av to Simcha's Torah. What are you talking about? Three months. So she was by me for Simcha's Torah. We had left Shul. I had heard that Amnon Yitzchak in Israel had a parochas made out of Bali Chubas who threw their earrings at him. I thought that was very cool. Or, or the cover of a Sefer Torah. I thought that was very, very cool. So... I just heard about it, and we're walking, I'll never forget, we were on the corner of 22nd and L, and K, and I turned to her and I said, Abby, I'll make you a deal. You give me your tongue ring, I will pierce my talus bag, I will put it on my talus bag, and for the rest of my life, every single day, when I put on my talus and fill in, I will look at this tongue ring, and I will remember Abby. I said, I can't promise you that, that I'll remember you forever. But if I have your tongue ring in my talus, trust me, I'll remember you forever. She said, you would never do that. I said, well, first I put it into the mikvah. Then I'd put a lot of alcohol, rubbing alcohol on it. But then I would do it. She said, you promise? I said, I promise. She said, close your eyes. I said, no. She said, no, close your eyes and put your hand out. My wife was there. She took the ring out of her mouth with simplest her at night, the tongue ring, and she dropped it into my hand. And I put it on my towel bag, and there's about 25 other ones from other girls on my towel bag. I forgot to bring it. I wanted to bring it from America, but I have the towel bag. And I said to her, I offered you $500, and you wouldn't give it to me. Why are you giving it to me? And she said, because that was my identity. But if you're thinking about me every day, then I don't need it anymore. Hikarti said was to Boaz, Lama Hikarti, why did you give me recognition? So the end of the story is that this past Lagba Omer, me and my wife, my wife and myself, we're here for Lagba Omer in Meron on our way up Friday afternoon, schlepping our luggage, when all of a sudden from behind me came a scream, Rebbe! Now, not many girls called me Rebbe. And I turned around, and there was Abby. And I'm like, Abby! And she goes, no! I'm thinking, oh, made a mistake. She goes, Abigail. I'm like, okay, because you don't mess with Abby. I said, yeah, Abigail. She says, Rabbi, look what I have. Chafidish guy standing, breast of a guy standing next to her with long payas and a beard, three little kindalach, two little boys with payas, and this little girl. And I'm like, where are you? What are you doing? She goes, I'm on a moshav, I think near the West Bank, wherever it is. She goes, you're not going to believe it. I'm like, what? She goes, I'm the fourth grade mora. I said, you're the fourth grade mora? I'm the fourth grade mora. She says, but Rabbi Wallace, I have to ask you something. And she starts the old Abby getting really angry. I'm like, oh no, don't tell me you want your, your, your tongue ring back. She goes, no, how could you live in chutz schmutz? I said, what? Chutz schmutz? You of all people living in America? 
Don't you know that every step you take here is a mitzvah? And she mamish was screaming, you can ask my wife, was screaming at me with the same power that so many years ago she screamed at me, blank Hashem. Potential? Potential? Of that 14-year-old girl who came out of rehab who was pierced all over with tattoos, who has no more tattoos, they were taken off, who's now a fourth grade mora, who's angry about one thing, how come all the Jews in Chutzlaretz are not leaving in Eretz Yisrael? Tu Potential of every single one of us, al-achas kama v'kama. And as the rabbi said before me, perfectly, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't need your tongue ring in his towels bag. For as the Gemara says, HaKadosh Baruch Hu wears tefillin every day. And in that tefillin that he wears every day is every single one of us. So when you feel that you have to do things to get attention, you have to step out to get attention, know that Avinu Shabbat is giving us attention every single day and waiting for all his trees to understand that inside each one of us has that beautiful sap for all his trees sometimes you got to push a little bit more yes but for all his trees to bear fruit and that's the yantiv of Tumbishvat and that's the understanding of women Mata'an Miriam and Miriam answered and said we are greater. Oh, Yoshia Moshe. Oh, now you're singing Shira? Now that Hashem did the miracle? We're going to take out our musical instruments to show HaKadosh Baruch Hu, to show the men. We knew this was happening way before it happened. We prepared for it in Mitzrayim. Those are the Nashim Sitkaniyais that took us out of Mitzrayim. And you are the Nashim Sitkaniyais. They're going to take us out of this Golis. So my bracha to everyone here is gather your musical instruments. Gather your spiritual musical instruments. Be the women like the women in the triumph. Have the amuna and the understanding that as dark as it was in the triumph, we are going to sing Shira. So we need to prepare the instruments now. The tzniyas, the davening, the, 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 the connection to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, those are our musical instruments. Do not wait till Mashiach comes. That's when the men are going to sing Shira. Now, the women are going to take us out to HaKadosh Baruch Hu is going to see, why are we waiting? Waiting for the men to sing Shira? The women are collecting the musical instruments already. That means that they have the emuna that it's going to happen, then it's going to happen. So next time, being that I'm a Kayan, that I get up, Mitzvah Hashem, next time to speak to all of you in the Ezra's Nashim of the Beis Hamikdash, which is a stone throw from here. I will be get up. I will be able to get up and tell all the men: the women are to blame, not because Mashiach is not here. The women are to blame because Mashiach is here. Kujantiv tu Thank. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.